Welcome to the Health Pulse podcast. I'm Dr. Connor Delaney, CEO and President of Cleveland Clinic Florida. Parkinson's disease is a neurodegenerative condition that impacts an individual's ability to control their own movements. This is caused essentially by a breakdown in the communication pathways between the nerve cells in the brain. Parkinson's disease is the fastest growing neurological disorder and has shown an alarming increase in prevalence worldwide. Fortunately, there are a number of new innovative developments that help us treat this condition today. With that in mind, today's guest is Dr. Shivam Mittal. He's an expert in the treatment of Parkinson's disease and a staff physician in the Neurological Institute at Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi. Shivam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, pleasure to be here. Well, it's really great to have you on today's episode. Maybe Shivam, you could start by sharing with our audience a little bit about your background and your clinical expertise. My pleasure. So I'm working as a consultant uh, neurologist uh, at, as a section head of Parkinson's and Movement Disorders Division at Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi in UAE. Uh, I completed my neurology uh, in Cleveland at universities, university hospitals. Uh, I did my fellowship in Movement Disorders and Parkinson's at uh, Mayo Clinic uh, and at Yale University. It's been uh, three years or slightly more than three years since uh, I joined uh, Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi. And, uh, as a section head uh, for the Movement Disorders Division, uh, we started uh, the very first program uh, for Parkinson's treatment in the country. Um, and um, yes, and I have a lot of things to share with you after that. Yeah, well, I look forward to hearing more. And I bet it's been an exciting three years to be in Abu Dhabi, the way Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi has been growing. Maybe you could start by giving us a brief overview um, for listeners and viewers of Parkinson's disease and some of the common symptoms that patients get? So Parkinson's disease, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the numbers are increasing globally. It's a most common form of a condition like Parkinsonism. Now, when I talk to my patients in a uh, layman's language, Parkinsonism is like umbrella term. And this umbrella term, any person, any patient who has symptoms of slowness in movement or bradykinesia, or tightness in the muscles or rigidity, tremor or lack of balance or difficulty in walking or postural instability, we label them as Parkinsonism. Parkinson's disease is the most common form of Parkinsonism. Uh, more than 6 million individuals worldwide have Parkinson's disease. Uh, studies have shown that symptoms of Parkinson's disease develop in patients with, who have already more than 80% loss of dopamine uh, producing neurons or brain cells in the, in the substantial nigra in the brainstem. So we are already uh, seeing the symptoms when more than 80% neurons are already lost. Coming to uh, uh, when we see a patient in the clinic, how do we diagnose Parkinson's and uh, what are the symptoms of Parkinson's disease uh, that people should know? Uh, there are um, still the treatment for the, the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease is based on history, and examination. Now, there are some prodromal symptoms uh, of Parkinson's where um, uh, the people can have early symptoms of Parkinson's, such as lack of smell sensation. Uh, they can have constipation, which are very common symptoms, uh, can develop very early in Parkinson's. Sometimes uh, people can have a REM sleep disorder where uh, their, their partners tell me that uh, they move their hands and legs at night as if they're dreaming which is called REM sleep disorder. These are some prodromal or early symptoms of Parkinson's, but what a neurologist is looking at on the clinical symptoms are symptoms of slowness, 
uh, or bradykinesia, rigidity, tremor, which is mostly at rest, and difficulty in walking symptoms. So other than these motor symptoms of Parkinson's, we have a lot of psychological symptoms like anxiety, mood symptoms, sleep disturbance, sometimes pain symptoms can happen as well. So that's a broad set of symptoms, but essentially what you're saying is by the time it becomes clinically obvious about 60 to 80% of the cell function has been lost, so you're losing your dopamine, which is a, an important um, mechanism of how the nerve cells are, are, are communicating. Uh, and then patients can get these early symptoms, general, like sleep, sleep, REM sleep issues and constipation before they get the more specific movement issues. Now, that's obviously quite a range of symptoms. And you mentioned that Parkinsonism is the symptoms, but Parkinson's disease is a very specific type. So what are some of the causes of Parkinson's disease then, just so people understand the background a little bit? It's a very important uh, role of the neurologist uh, to uh, diagnose the person that uh, this is Parkinson's disease and not any other type of Parkinsonism, because there are some medicines, some secondary causes which can cause Parkinsonism, but specifically Parkinson's disease is, uh, has to fit in particular diagnosis and uh, that is the role of the neurologist. Now, when we see Parkinson's disease and we're talking, what is the cause of Parkinson's disease? The cause of Parkinson's essentially remains unknown at this point, but there are several hypotheses. Uh, we know that there are theories involving oxidative damage, environmental toxins, genetic factors, and accelerated aging that have been discussed as potential causes for the disease. The largest risk of Parkinson's disease is actually aging. About 1% of people above age 60 years develop Parkinson's disease. For unclear reason, it is more common in men than in women. Uh, genetics do play a big role in, uh, in Parkinson's disease, mostly who are younger onset Parkinson's disease. So who are less than 50 years and develop symptoms of Parkinson's, we, 10 to 15% people overall in Parkinson's, we attribute this to the genetics but who people who are above 50 years of age, uh, genetics doesn't play a big role. It's usually the intermingling, a complex interaction between the genetics and the environmental risk factors that can lead to Parkinson's disease. Coming to environmental risk factors, there are several hypotheses. Coming to traumatic brain injury, head injuries, uh, exposure to pesticides, herbicides, uh, exposure to solvents, which are commonly used in industries, um, and uh, uh, there are a lot of hypotheses that uh, this may be the leading, uh, one of the environmental causes for Parkinson's disease. Right, and I guess many of those things people only find out or realize afterwards that they might, might have been risk factors for them. So then you get, you're left with genetics and aging. As we see the population of the world aging, obviously this is something that we're going to see more and more. So I guess some of the important things then become if somebody has medications causing these symptoms, you get them off those medications. Then once you make the diagnosis, you come up with this group of patients who truly have Parkinson's disease. So thinking of that group of patients, you know, maybe you could talk through some of the treatment options for individuals who are formally diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So even though we, though we do not have a cure for Parkinson's yet, uh, fortunately, Parkinson's disease is a very treatable condition. Um, as we discussed earlier, there's a lack of dopaminergic cells in the brain, and that leads to the symptoms of Parkinson's. Uh, again, um, uh, it's not very simple that only dopamine is a chemical which is uh, depleting, and we just give the dopamine back, and the person is back to his normal life. There are some other neurotransmitters involved as well, like choline, serotonin, and other, symptom, other uh, chemicals. 
When we talk about the treatment for Parkinson's, it is very individualized, depending on the staging of Parkinson's. Uh, if the person with Parkinson's has no, that has very mild symptom, and it is not really bothering his daily routine life, and he is able to do exercise, which is the mainstay of treatment of Parkinson's as exercise, then we don't have to necessarily start a medication because there's no medication that we know at this point that can slow down the progression. Once the symptom starts affecting the quality of life or it starts affecting their ability to do exercise, it becomes crucial to start a medicine that can make them feel better and they can get back to your uh, steps or cycling or exercise because that is something that can slow down the progression of Parkinson's disease. So the medicines, they really control the symptoms quite well. And uh, fortunately, uh, this works for a long duration of time. Again, Parkinson's is highly variable. Uh, every person with Parkinson is different. So each individual is different. So some people, so on an average, if you look at the studies, 50% of Parkinson's people after five years duration of Parkinson's disease, they start developing what we call as motor fluctuations. Now, what is motor fluctuations? The medicine, you take the dopamine medicine, the medicine starts working, and after uh, three or five hours of the medicine, the person again becomes stiff, again becomes slow, cannot walk. So the person lives his life in cycles, on, off, on, off. So in the on phase, he is able to walk normally like a normal person. In the off state, he is not able to even stand up or even able to move or having a lot of tremor. So these, when the person develops these on and off motor fluctuations, we call them as advanced Parkinson's disease. And in that situation, we have some add-on therapies that we can manipulate the medicines dosing. We can change some dosings and that can help. But eventually what they need is uh, advanced treatment options. So we can have a continuous delivery of medication throughout the day, or there is an electrical dopamine through the deep brain stimulation surgery that can provide the dopamine stimulation throughout the day. As a result, the dependency on medicine is much less. So that comes to advanced treatment options, uh, which is uh, select, which is individualized to particular patients only. Great. So patients obviously have a range of symptoms. So early on, physical therapy, health. As symptoms get worse, there are medications that can control a lot of the rigidity, and and patients often do well on that. And then for the most advanced, you think about uh, some of these more advanced and technical treatments. So, so with that in mind, maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, deep brain stimulation and the program that you have now at Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi and that we have at the Cleveland Clinic widespread throughout all of our sites. So, uh, so deep brain stimulation surgery uh, was first approved uh, by FDA in uh, 1997 to treat Parkinson's disease tremor. Uh, then in 2002, it was approved for advanced Parkinson's disease patients. With uh, newer studies uh, in 2016, uh, it was then approved for people who have a bit of early Parkinson's disease where um, there are, they're having motor fluctuations for in the, in the last four years time. So we don't have to wait that long to do the DBS surgery because these patients, uh, uh, it affects the quality of life. So with that in mind, uh, uh, for this is for the audience who are not aware of deep brain stimulation. Uh, what we are doing is there's an area in the brain uh, located deep inside the brain called subthalamic nucleus, or there's an area called GPI. So either of the two areas we have to target by a metal wire. 
And this metal wire is inserted uh, with the help of a stereotactic procedure. And while we are doing putting the wire inside the brain, we are listening to the brain cells. And this is called the neurophys neurophysiology or microelectro recording, where we are actually listening to the brain cells and we are targeting that particular area. And once we reach that area, the patient is awake uh, during the OR and we ask the patient to perform task. So if the patient has too much of tremor, we give him a cup to hold and, uh, or we can say, see his rest tremor and we can see how much is the hand moving. If he has stiffness or slowness, we move the hands and we examine pre and post, and then we start the stimulation. Once we see the stimulation, the results are so dramatic. We see that people who have a lot of tremor, like they're holding the cup and too much of tremor, and you start the stimulation in the OR to check for the side effects and improvement, the tremor stops. And that's an instant gratification that you get in the OR. And uh, first by the neurophysiology that you hear this brain cells firing and you know exactly that you're in the STN in that area. And the second thing is by the clinical improvement. And uh, then we switch off the DBS and uh, put the second part of surgery where you put the battery under the chest wall. Uh, it's like a pacemaker a battery and the patient is, uh, goes back to sleep for anesthesia for that second part of the surgery. And after the surgery is done, the patient comes for the uh, programming, uh, which is a fine tuning of the stimulation and the current, and we can uh, manipulate the symptoms uh, in the follow-up clinic visits. So this is how the DBS works. Um, and since, uh, the, uh, uh, since levodopa came into picture, uh, DBS is certainly the most important therapeutic advancement since then. Um, it is mostly effective for people who have disabling motor fluctuations, as we discussed, on and off symptoms, who have tremor, who, which is not responding to the levodopa medicine. For those patients, DBS is recommended. Again, DBS selection for any person for DBS to work, the three key points are, number one, the right patient selection. If a patient has a lot of psychiatric symptoms or uh, balance issues or uh, speech difficulties, we would not do DBS for that patient because that can make the symptoms worse. So right patient selection is very important. Second thing is a precise placement of the lead in, the, in, in that area. That's very important. And third part is after the right placement, the programming is very important when you do the programming as a follow-up visit. So you need a constant care. Uh, as a Parkinson's a progressive condition, uh, it's not a one-time surgery. The surgery is one time, but then the programming is uh, lifelong. And uh, that is where you develop a strong relationship between a doctor and a patient. And it's elective surgery. So patient thinks about the surgery, makes an informed decision, talk to other patients. And it's a big milestone for any Parkinson's patient. Well, that's such a great explanation of uh, DBS, as you call it, or deep brain stimulation. And, and I love the tailored approach, which we see so often in medicine to do the, the right treatment for the right patient. And obviously, this is not something for the early phase of the disease, um, but it's great. And having seen uh, patients receive this treatment, it's honestly, it's magical the way you just see the immediate, you turn it on and, and the tremors and rigidity just vanish. It's, it's truly quite incredible. Maybe you could share with the listeners a success story from Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi's deep brain stimulation treatment program uh, that you've seen recently, perhaps. Sure. Uh, so when we started our program in, uh, in the Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi, um, we uh, had our first patient uh, in um, uh, November 2020. And now it's been 18 months and we have recently completed our 20 DBS implants. And uh, uh, all the patients uh, uh, 
uh, had went through the same protocol that we discussed uh, patient selection. And uh, we at Cleveland Clinic uh, Abu Dhabi, we work with Cleveland Clinic Ohio very closely. So any patient, we have a monthly meetings where we discuss all our potential candidates for DBS and work with the movement disorders team in Ohio and uh, uh, make sure that uh, we go through a vigilant patient selection uh, and uh, have a proper plan for every patient. Uh, so when, when we started doing a DBS uh, that time, uh, one of our very early patient was, the, he's the youngest uh, of our cohort. Uh, he is a 34 year old uh, young Emirati man. Actually his video was covered by the Department of Health Abu Dhabi uh, and as a video story, uh, because it was really moving. And I would like to share with you uh, his story here. So he, he is like 34 year old, uh, with uh, several years of Parkinson's symptoms. Unfortunately, uh, he had uh, a lot of tremor in his hand. Um, he, he was really affected by it because of his young age. He, has, uh, he had uh, uh, young kids. Um, his marriage was at stake because of uh, the ongoing symptoms. His job was affected. Uh, he used to go to gym every day and he showed me big, you know, big muscles uh, of, uh, uh, he used to really be a bodybuilder. And uh, it was all affected because he couldn't take any food because with food, the medicines would not work because of lack of absorption in the stomach. So he lost all the weight, uh, all the muscles. His, he was socially embarrassed. Uh, he, and uh, he was on the medicine. So when he takes the levodopa medicine, uh, it would control his tremor, stiffness, and slowness. But unfortunately, he would have these uh, excessive movements, what we call as a dyskinesias. Uh, what happens when there's more dopamine or some people are more sensitive that they can get excessive like dance-like movements in the body, which can be socially quite embarrassing and can affect their walking. So this patient with even a small dose of medicine, he, his tremor would go away, but then he will have severe excessive involuntary movements. So uh, he approached us and uh, we did our meeting. We decided, yes, he'd be a great candidate for deep brain stimulation surgery. In the OR, um, very nice video of him holding the cup and a lot of tremor and we start the stimulation and we stop the uh, tremor going away. And interestingly, uh, when I, was, I gave him a cup and asked him to drink water and before it was like too much of shaking, after the stimulation was on, there was no shaking. I said, uh, how are you feeling? He said, I had a lot of water. So that was his uh, sense of humor in the OR while he was awake. And after the, after the surgery, we did all the programming and uh, now he remains to be 100% tremor-free. Uh, his dyskinesias are under control. And this was a surgery done in 2020. So it's been, he's following every three or four months for programming. And uh, by God's grace, he is doing very well. He is back to the gym. Uh, he is back to his uh, uh, work. Uh, and we can see a young man like this, a 35-year-old. Uh, DBS has done something really uh, good for him. Uh, so we as a doctor, as a team, we really feel uh, very happy and uh, elated seeing his uh, success story. Oh, that's fantastic. What a great story. Yeah, it's truly, it's, it's just incredible when you see the, it being turned on and uh, it vanishing and you, you've changed his life in a good way. So recently, Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi hosted a run to help raise awareness for Parkinson's disease uh, called the Ramadan Night Run. Maybe you could share a brief highlight from the event with us. So uh, uh, the... When we uh, came to Abu Dhabi, we realized the patient awareness support groups was uh, um, uh, was really missing in this region. 
uh, we look in US and UK, there are a lot of societies and patient support groups that are working for uh, empowering patients with education and uh, they're opening up with the disease. Uh, here, unfortunately, we do not have that much support and this was an attempt to uh, overcome that. Um, uh, this was one of the second event post COVID. Previously, we had online event, but this was the first on in person. And uh, on World Parkinson's, so World Parkinson's Day falls on 11th April. And uh, uh, this was during the month, holy month of Ramadan. Uh, and uh, so they break their fast in the evening. And so we organized a Ramadan night run. So we know that uh, after they break their fast, they will come for the run and uh, uh, to raise awareness uh, for Parkinson's disease and uh, uh, family, friends of people with Parkinson's. Parkinson's patients themselves came as well. And uh, we had more than 500 people who were on the ground uh, that night. Uh, all in uh, red and the green grass of Yas Club area. This is a nice uh, uh, golf course in Abu Dhabi. And uh, all wearing red shirts on Parkinson's awareness with a tulip, which is a Parkinson's uh, uh, sign. And um, uh, it was very energetic. Uh, the highlight of this event was our special guest. We had a uh, few volunteer patients who came up on the stage and uh, shared their story. Uh, one of the patients was actually, uh, 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 he belongs to the uh, Dubai uh, uh, royal family and uh, 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 Sheikh Jumal Maktoum, and he actually uh, opened up in the national news and he shared his entire story and uh, he opened up to the entire population. And, uh, um, and he quoted in that paper, in his interview, that Parkinson's is like a bully. Either you control him or he will control you. And later he said, uh, I went through two phases. Phase one is a bully, and the phase two is dealing with the bully and him becoming a member of the family. Uh, so he shared his entire story, which is so moving. And uh, so I think this is step, step one. We are getting uh, over, yes, Parkinson's is not a taboo. It is something which anyone can, anyone can develop, and uh, we can overcome together. We can work together as a team. Uh, we have a lot of resources, a lot of help available, but together we can defeat it. And that was a goal of the uh, Ramadan night run, that uh, exercising is a key, stay active. Uh, and that was really possible because we have a wonderful team uh, from physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. We had a small booth for boxing in Parkinson's as well. And uh, amazing leadership uh, that we have at Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi who supported Dr. Guzman was there as well uh, for the Parkinson's uh, night run and uh, strongly supported by our leadership. Well, what great comments from the member of the Royal family and um, uh, really great lessons from you about how a team can impact individual patients. But I, I love the way you then complete that loop and you're bringing it back to the community and raising awareness in, in the community. I, I really want to thank you, Dr. Mittal. I really appreciate you taking the time to walk us through these latest developments in the treatment of Parkinson's disease. I really enjoyed our discussion and I've no doubt that our listeners did as well. Thank you so much. My pleasure. To our listeners, to learn more about Parkinson's disease and the Neurological Institute at Abu Dhabi, please visit clevelandclinicabudabi.com and visit the Neurological Institute page. And please join me next time on our next episode of the Health Pulse podcast.